0: Welcome to episode 149. So next week we have a, another special guest for our 150th episode. We have got Professor Guy Claxton. But we're excited about getting into today's episode. Uh, we joined today and you'll you'll hear from him in a moment from Jerry Ray and uh, we'll do a bit of an introduction to him very very soon. We want you just to if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or on Spotify wherever you get you, your podcast. And uh, I look back on some of our old episodes. Episode 134 with Ken Hubble, we looked at AI in education. Uh, episode 125 was really great when we're talking about teacher education. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's a whole back catalogue of over 100 episodes now and then um, we're into episode 149 today. So 149, we've got Jerry Ray, Chief Operations Officer of SecureEdge Technology, who has more than 15 years experience in process engineering, consulting, and global finance in the US and Asia Pacific region. He received his technical education in operations research engineering for Cornell University, and later supplemented that with degrees in international economics and comparative policy analysis at the University of Florida and the University of California, San Diego.
1: Yeah, Jerry began his career as a production research engineer at the Konica Corporation, then served as a technical solutions advisor for a large Japanese Disney affiliate, and as a process and optimization consultant in Amsterdam for a joint venture between the Japan Management Association Con- Consultancy and the Ford Motor Company. In the US, Jerry provided international business risk analysis while at SAIC and independently crafted Asian market entry strategies as a consultant to several US IT security and related technology firms.
0: So, Jerry, thanks for joining us on the Edge Futures podcast.
2: Thank you both. That was was quite an introduction. I appreciate it. And thanks yeah. for having me.
0: Yeah, no worries at all. And it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, topic because obviously we get a whole range of people on the podcast we get educators on we get people from business and entrepreneurship and sports and we've had people on talking about cryptocurrencies and all sorts of stuff but obviously we're talking about this in the context of the future of education and so as we talk today we know that your expertise um and i know that we talked about this before we ran on the podcast you don't call yourself an expert because it's very, very difficult in your field to find what an expert is but i wondered if you could just talk to us about what you're passionate about now and then uh, what we're going to get into today.
2: Certainly. And I think the background that you provided on me left off right where our current story begins, that after my time as a consultant to tech firms, uh, particularly cybersecurity firms that were expanding into the Asia-Pacific market, I took on the role of Chief Operations Officer at SecureAge uh, roughly three years ago, although I've been an investor partner for 13. And what we do at SecureAge is cybersecurity on the notion of no fault for the user. And we do that through encryption. We do that through some other technologies that will result in anti-malware, anti-ransomware. And among these technologies, we offer different grants to education at large uh, globally. We do this because We think we have some answers, and we think it's the philosophical approach we've taken to create those answers that is meaningful, that will not only stop these (laughs) – let me see if I can craft this in a way that sounds more interesting than what I'm saying now. It will not only stop what these attacks are, but at the same time, it's going to introduce an approach – to security and a security mindedness to users that they can use for everything else in their life. When we're doing something on a computer, on a mobile device, on a cell phone, we think that the attack is something that's technical. And we think that our response to block that attack has to be technical, but that's not the case at all. These attacks are coming from humans. They're exploiting humans, not technology, to be successful with these attacks. And the way we can thwart them are likewise human practices. So if I can get that notion through, if we can share that, uh, particularly with educational users who have an appreciation for something at least more broad than a simple business decision, then we think we might have an inroad to... To changing the landscape of what cybersecurity is, so and that's what we're doing at Secure Age. And if I can talk more about, you know, what those philosophies are, what that approach is, uh, and if you're interested in that, let's let's jump in right there. Yeah, definitely.
1: Is it so? I, just so I'm right. So are you are you talking about like the, the mindset of the user? So um, it's not necessarily kind of the the, well, I suppose it's it's both sides, isn't it? It's the it's the technical. Um, operators that's there to prevent it but also kind of the mindset of the user in terms of um, how they how they what they do online so that they're not being duped by I suppose we when we see this a lot don't we like in telephone calls people are getting um, conned out of money by telephone calls of people pretending to be certain people like send money um, and I guess it's like is that what you're saying like that it's that human element it's that kind of and 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 it's the mindset of the user that needs to change?
2: That's exactly right. It's, it's more that we've been indoctrinated in this sense of users having technical responsibilities for security. Many companies provide weekly security training. Um, many cyber attacks that happen often fall on some type of victim blaming that this person opened this attachment, which resulted in this bad thing happening. This person followed this link, which made this bad thing happen. And that security training most often covers things that are technical. Well, if you see a URL that looks like this, if you see an inbound email address that looks different from the name that was recognized by that email, this is also a thing. And if any of these attacks came in that way, well, it's your fault as the user. And we don't believe that. It's not that person's fault at all. And we want the users to be able to abandon fears of not being up to snuff with their technical know-how and not being able to follow the protocol that is often pushed onto them by their IT or their security administrators. They make their users play a functional role in the security system that's in place. So we want to relieve people of that. We want to make them feel free to visit whatever website they want to, feel free to use whatever application they can run on their machine, feel free to store their data either carefully or sloppily, feel free to double-click on any attachment to email, and not feel like they're the cause of some cyber invasion, some type of data breach, or other damage that might be imbued on the machine or system or network that they've been using. And you know, we do that from a tool approach. We say, allow the technology to come from the technologist. Let your security system be human. So it's what you're referring to, what you're referring to in terms of change the mindset of the user. That's the only thing we can control is their mindset because we can never control what hackers or what type cyber criminals will come at you with. They have an infinite range of attack vectors, of budgets, of personnel, of history, and they have motivations that we can't possibly understand. So the only thing we have in our arsenal is are humans who are interfacing with the technology and the technology itself so oh i'm sorry i think i'm no 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 no. I was,
0: but i know that we had a conversation um before we went on there and you talked about that that concept of lsu and i wondered if you could uh, could maybe go into that a little bit because i think that's where we're talking about here because we're talking about educators who are paid to teach aren't we we're paid to and get information across to young people so they understand it, engage with it, learn it, and then that they can use those skills to get to wherever they need to get to in life. That's why we do what we do. Um, and so you were talking about actually from a technology perspective and a cybersecurity perspective, that it should be about the LSU. Is that right?
2: that's right and not to confuse the listeners because this is the education space it's not the louisiana state university uh, lsu that football <laughs> fans might recognize but the least sophisticated user and and that's not to be a derogatory term what that means is least sophisticated in terms of the technology itself and no one should be responsible for that so we develop all of our tools and we look for other technology partners and other tools out there that are also developed for the least sophisticated user. You want to relieve that user of any burden of providing a missing gap for that security. Relieve them of anything that requires uh, additional training, manuals, discipline. Your least sophisticated user means they're not sophisticated in the cybersecurity sense, but they can be extraordinarily sophisticated with the things they want to accomplish on their digital device. We can have amazing graphic artists at a very high level of sophistication. We can have musicians, we can have mathematicians, designers, all of these people who need their digital devices to create, to develop, but they don't have to use any of their brain cycles on the security of those devices. In the same way, we won't expect that from any passenger who's inside an airplane. Or an automobile the security systems that are built in those are mechanical they're taken care of for you and you are free to do the other things that you mm-hmm. should be doing whether it's looking out the window or enjoying a movie
1: that's i was just thinking that actually um when you came up with that analogy of the the airplane i was thinking if a teacher's in a classroom teaching they're not told or oh, just make sure you don't let any members of the public come into your classroom like you, you wouldn't like, you would just you would say, well, what, surely, surely there's a, there's a fence around the school, or there's a there's a wall around the school. Surely there's a there's a gate that that's manned by a reception area, or
2: like it's it just, it, and I suppose it's the same thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, very much so, and and that's a great analogy. And when we talk about schools, that's the perfect environment to dig into this because that might be one of the most challenging cybersecurity environments on the planet. And that comes about from a myriad of experienced users coming in. You could have extraordinarily sophisticated <laughs> technologists in primary schools who have been working on coding and tinkering with machines since infancy. Or you could have novices at the university level who simply used a computer for email, word processing, and surfing the Internet. So you've got a mixture of uh, people. You've got a mixture of technologies. It's rare that a school will be issuing all the hardware that's allowed to connect to their infrastructure. It's rare that an educational institution would be the only holder of the applications that run on that network. People will be bringing different machines, different tools, and it's it's quite a challenge from a security perspective to make sure none of that disrupts the network. None of that takes down the network. None of that somehow breaches data from all the other devices that are connected through the network.
0: So I think to myself here now, right, I can understand why a finance company might need to make sure that they've got cybersecurity in place or somebody who's got some, so you work, like you said, you work with Ford and you work with Disney and other people like that who have got some very, very, Elite stuff that you don't want anybody else to get hold of, but you understand why somebody might want to steal that. Why would anybody want to hack into a school? Um, and is it really, so therefore, is it really an issue? Is cybersecurity really an issue in schools and in colleges, in education places?
2: That's a terrific question. And and I think it's one that's on the minds from anybody looking at their own data saying, well, why would anyone care about my messaging or my email? But when we look at educational institutions, the one thing I mentioned earlier that might have been overlooked was that we don't know the motivations of people who are hacking into anything. We don't know if they're doing it to obtain the data for some type of exploitation. In which case, they would probably go after rich data, like you said, from finance or from manufacturing, where there's some IP that they could sell. But we don't know if they're trying to intrude on your network to use it as a bot in a large-scale attack on some third-party network. Maybe I want to get it to schools because people know that all the users in schools will be reaching out to these assorted websites. And we can go through that school and exploit the machines of all the children there to be part of this large scale botnet in which we're going to attack another country to steal some type of sensitive data that's classified we will never know the motivations and because of that we have to assume that our data is as valuable as the most data on the planet i mean i'm sorry as the most sensitive data on the planet there's no difference between what's residing on your phone today than what's sitting on some type of intelligence agency computer in another country. We have to value it the same way and we have to protect it the same way because we don't know what the attackers have in mind for our machine, our data, or us as humans, how they might exploit children in some way, how they might exploit young adults. Uh, We don't know their motivations. So we have to assume that whatever their motivation is, our data, our network, our machines are as precious as anything else, and we need to protect it as such.
0: You just—I think you muted, Dan. I think you're trying to jump in and you—you muted. Sorry, so. yeah,
1: it's yeah. <laughs> uh, you're just getting back into ne-
0: it. We only first one back last week. It? <laughs>
1: Never gets old, does it? Um, yeah, I was. I guess there's also that element Jerry of uh the like the ransom for it as well in the kind of the area of and we've we've seen it a lot in in the UK recently um especially um colleges universities um they don't so the they the hackers don't necessarily want the data they just they're just going to they're just going to lock down the systems and ransom it because they want to they want a cash reward
2: for it as well. That's right. I mean, that's a tremendous motivation now. And the uptick just this year over last year, year over year, the type of ransoms that are paid, the lucrative nature of ransomware is making it one of the biggest threats on the planet. But to what you just said now, you reminded me that the missing link here is kind of my entire premise today, that cybersecurity is human security. It's humanity. It's the same threats that have always existed whether we had these cyber tools or not. But if I'm going after educational institutions, one thing that will be common to most of them is some type of human element. Maybe I'm there just to throw up a spoofed web page that will pretend to be Apple or Microsoft and say, your computer has been compromised or hacked. You need to call this number to unlock it. And then I will walk you through some type of gift card scheme where I get you to take all the money out of your account, go buy some gift cards, and then give me the number to reinstate things. So there's just some element of leveraging our humanity that happens in all of these attacks. And that's why schools in particular can be hugely vulnerable. And I said that we've got this unknown mix of skill level. And people involved in education worldwide. So it's less about the data than it is about the users when it comes to that attack surface.
0: Yeah, and now that, no, that makes that makes sense. And I, I think we have probably been naive in education, so to speak. Uh, but I think that's what you're saying It's educators are, are naive. We are naive. We are. That's we're not necessarily our cybersecurity experts. And actually, I think one of the things that's been uh, prevalent in schools and colleges I've been associated with has been that somehow we have to become experts in that. And I think what you're saying is we don't need to become cybersecurity experts. Um, the the tools that we've got in place should actually work in such a way that that it protects whatever we do. And you talk about that in terms of encryption and about data encryption and about um, and, and what that means. And and I think that's that's massive, particularly when you think about what's happening most recently and i know that you've made comment recently on the the hacks that have happened on iphones uh which for those people who haven't maybe seen that story the the idea that um there's been a bug in the iphone software that has meant that um there's not uh, a usual had to click on anything for um hacking to be done um on on these devices they're actually um no click hacking uh, no kick click threats that's right isn't it and uh, and i suppose we've always thought the cybersecurity threats are somebody clicks a malicious attachment or clicks a link in an email. And if we're saying that that can be done without clicking, then actually it's way more important that the, 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 the actual data is encrypted rather than, uh, rather than it being a, a human action, isn't it?
2: That's right. I mean, you are spot on. That just came out on Monday and we saw this zero-click, zero-day exploit of iMessages. And Apple quickly, well, I guess that's a relative term, but they rushed out a security update for the phones specifically because this zero-click type of exploit is so malicious and it's so effective. And there is nothing that a user could do to stop that from happening. It's purely on the infrastructure of the application, the device, and maybe even the cell carrier from where that attack would be launched. And if it can happen once in one app, then virtually every app is vulnerable. And in that sense, uh, you spoke of the encryption and the type encryption that we perform or the type encryption that most excites me is that file level data encryption where I'm not trying to encrypt my whole device. For example, the iPhone has its own encryption of the whole device. I'm instead trying to encrypt every piece of data inside that device. And encrypted in such a way that I can see it. I have immediate access to it. It's totally plain to me. But to anybody else, it's gibberish. And, I mean, of course, that's not saying much. That's what encryption does. But when we're talking about the file-level data, that means that I've effectively created this currency that only I can spend. That I've got some money and it's valid anywhere, but if I were to drop that on the sidewalk or if I had my bank bank, Open and someone takes that currency out, they cannot spend it. And that's what file level encryption gives you. And there's a tremendous difference between that and disk encryption. For example, BitLocker that's sitting on Microsoft systems or even Apple has its file vault. And these are large scale disk encrypting tools. But the minute you open up that disk with a password, all the files inside of it are plain. So when the attack happens is when your machine is turned on, when those files are unlocked and open and plain, and there's no net benefit to the user. File level encryption, however, when that machine is turned on, when your educational institutions have all their students in class, everyone's notebook is up and running, every one of those files is individually encrypted such that if anything were exfiltrated, no one could get anything at any time and I, I don't know if I was clear on that it's a very subtle difference but it's one that confuses most people because they feel well I've got encryption so I'm okay but yeah. if you have no, that... I guess it's like sure. guess it's,
1: it's probably like probably like locking every door in your house not just the main doors not it just for just for listeners who are, who are understand what that what that means that actually if someone can get into your device or your computer um, by by a simple mistake that, then actually they've they've got access to everything, whereas the encryption means that every they're gonna need to hack absolutely everything to 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 see everything if everything is encrypted. Um, I guess a bit like we were we were kind of sold that with when WhatsApp first came out as well, weren't we? That like every message that would be passed back and forth would be in- encrypted. Not entirely sure how how secure that is now now that Facebook owns it. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, don't be controversial, Dan.
1: <laughs> no, no, i just yeah. they're probably not uh, well known for their the data privacy. Oh, oh but that was a great
2: metaphor. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you clarified that. It's, it's really important to, to feel that difference at some level. I mean, it's not just having every door in your house locked. It's having every object in every room of your house individually locked for anyone to come in. However, you living in your house... You only need to step inside and you have access to everything. Yeah. Whether it's your sofa, your art, your clothing, your shoes, no one could put their foot in that shoe <laughs> except you. Uh, that glass slipper fits only you. Yeah. It'd be,
1: yeah. It'd be great to get into because like both sides of the the coin, I guess, within education from a leadership point of view and from a teacher point of view. So um, what, like what, what are you guys doing in terms of, because I imagine a lot from what basically from what you're saying, I think probably education, it plays a big part in what you guys are doing in terms of um, and creating those mindsets. So what can it what can like the just a regular teacher do um, to, to safeguard themselves and and I guess their students data? And then after that, it'd be, be great to get into kind of what what leaders need to look out for and what leaders should be asking from their IT teams as well.
2: Yeah, that's great. And if I could approach it, answering the second half of it first, uh, of course, going yeah. toward the leadership, and then work down toward the teachers, the ones who are making purchasing decisions. I mean, they have a very challenging task because the the marketing slogans, the marketing collateral, everything that's out there is very confusing. It's hard to discriminate. And I was saying earlier that you don't have to be a technologist. Well, if you're a dean of a university and you sign the budget, it's, it's hard for you to know that your IT team has chosen the right tool. So as, as a leader, you can ask the questions of, will we have to indoctrinate our students or our staff into this new tool that we're either recommending or that we're forcing them to use? Will they have to have some type of formalized training to use it properly Are there scenarios by which they could fail to apply discipline to their use of this tool and allows for a large-scale network breach or some type of other corruption or any damage you can imagine? I mean, you need to take into consideration the cost of having people use that tool effectively and not just the cost of the tool. So with that, you can better evaluate the different products that are out there And look for ones that will not require any type of user training. Look for ones that will silently take care of all the issues that you may face. And there's a number out there, a number out there that can do this, that can, in the background, take care of all those things that relieve you of having to have the discipline of doing it yourself, which is why we're using a computer in the first place, because we don't want to manually or we can't manually take care of all these things. And if that mindset of relying on the tool for your security instead of relying on the users for your security can be pushed down from that leadership, that's one that teachers can then adopt in their own classrooms and allow students to freely bring different devices or introduce different applications, or solve different problems, or take on different challenges with the digital devices they have, without spending any time on training them on technical security. Instead, the discussion can change in the classroom to the human side of these attacks. Now, what happens if you have some type of large-scale banner, or pop-up, on your screen that has taken over all the screen real estate and is trying to convince you that your device has been compromised or that you've done something wrong and you need to call this number to unlock it, as I was mentioning earlier. It's that side of cyber attacks that needs to be explored by users, particularly students, teachers, educators, to say that you know the threats that are out there in the real world are the threats that are meeting you here on your digital device and those are the ones that no technology can save you from but your own awareness can help you forever you know, it's it's not just don't talk to strangers but it's what is this thing forcing you to do in the physical world is it forcing you to make a phone call to someone else is it forcing you to go and collect money in secret from your parents so you can unlock your phone so you don't get in trouble for having gotten it locked in the first place. And and that's a common event that happens. We we hear it all the time of students who received a new computer or a new handset or a new tablet and they've gone to a website and that website fools them into thinking that the device is locked down. And then they go through this entire sequence of steps of calling someplace, sending money, wiring money, buying gift cards, giving gift card numbers to unlock that device so that they aren't scolded by their parents or a teacher who have allocated this digital device to them. I mean, that's that's really where we should be talking about cybersecurity now with with students worldwide.
0: <laughs> And I think that's that's part of a, a broader conversation about digital citizenship. So thinking of things around like fake news, um, all elements around understanding like um, copyright and people. We, we we talk quite a lot um, off off air when we're talking about people using like images without permission and students getting into that habit of like just copy and pasting and Wikipedia being the source of all knowledge. But actually, like that whole citation. Um, understanding people's personal property, consent, all the things that go with that—that's a whole broader picture in what we're teaching young people, isn't it? And and cyber then becomes part of it. That there are um, there are people out there who are who aren't um, not everybody's your friend, uh, and so therefore we need to be careful, and we need to make sure that we are aware of these uh, the this malicious thing. Uh, I was I was reading one of your articles earlier actually that talks about actually. In, during the pandemic, there was a significant amount of, um, of malicious websites, and Google closed down two million malicious websites in, in 2020. And there were 100 million phishing emails a day um, during that first lockdown. A lot mm-hmm. of them about about the virus. And so the whole broader picture that we're talking about here is about a, a wider education piece, isn't it? That is that we would probably never have to think about 15, 20 years ago. Nobody taught me about how to be safe online. Uh, and and now now it's kind of part and parcel of what we do as part as educators, isn't it?
2: Yes, and I like the way you put that. I like how you started it, equating the issues of copyright techniques or uh, things that students might do to more efficiently or, or easily get their work done. But just now in that discussion, a greater appreciation for what it means to, you know. Not just leverage what our tools can do for us in terms of quickly grabbing images or text or finishing a term paper or something, but to understand more the actual damage that's done by doing that. And students can have a much greater appreciation for well, someone has taken the time and effort and this is what they went through to create that image. And that's why we respect that copyright. Or the value of you doing this to write something is the reason why you don't just want to copy and paste it from somewhere else. And that leads in naturally to, well, there's also a threat of doing what you just did. And people will prey on students who are looking to some type of shortcut. And avoiding something. And that's precisely where they can be exploited and get caught. That if you download something where you shouldn't have been, if you go to some site that boasts having term papers available for some discounted price for you to turn in and vetted by former teachers, things like this that sound too good to be true always are. And it's a very easy avenue for exploitation. And I think I made a giant leap there (laughs) from saying, hey, there's value in you doing your work. But what I'm saying is that any of those areas where students are learning citizenship, where they're learning the value of their own education, growth, what it means to mature, what it means to contribute to society, those are also precisely the places where cyber criminals know how to exploit in the same way they know how to exploit adults who are looking for some type of debt relief, they know how to ex- exploit adults who are looking to fulfill some vice online as well. Those are the ones where, you know, if they sense there's some human need to short circuit something else, that's where you will most likely be attacked, that's where you'll most likely. Be extraordinarily embarrassed by what you were doing, or even face some type of punishment for what you were doing. And knowing that you're facing that, you are more likely to pay a ransom, to somehow get money in another way, or to do things that would compromise yourself in some material or physical uh, security sense that I would go and meet someone who I otherwise wouldn't go and meet because. I might get in trouble with my teacher for having bought this term paper, or I might get in trouble with the school for having used these images, or, you know, it's, it's some other human fear that is always exploited by hackers and any cyber criminal ranging from primary school to professionals worldwide and militaries, governments. Everyone is falling subject to phishing emails, which is still the number one vector for getting in there. And the most effective ones are the ones that are somehow exploiting some type of insecurity, somehow exploiting a shortcut to something else, somehow exploiting things that we otherwise shouldn't do as good citizens. And we know we shouldn't do it. And it's that guilt that allows us to take an even more dangerous pathway
1: yeah i think when you explain it like that as well i think a lot of people say this is is a bit of a victimless crime like something that's that just causes a nuisance but nobody really gets hurt but actually when you when you talk about the the exploitation of of human values emotions um of people's lives when we talk about students um being forced out of guilt to 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 pay money um, things like that. Like, this is; these are things that that can really, really mess up a person's life. They can, it can, and and sadly, we, there's there's the circumstances where people take their own life because of this kind of thing as well, isn't there?
2: Oh, most definitely. And it, it's not meant to exaggerate or somehow fearmonger, but young people in particular can be exploited in tremendous ways, and mostly out of fear. Whether that results in things that are innocuous. That you, like you said, you I, I may just have some victimless, simple little crime where I now played a game online that trapped me in an infinite loop or something and just wasted my time. Or it can be extraordinarily bad where where I am now blackmailed into you know, taking off my shirt in my camera before yeah. this person releases the rest of my machine for me to finish my homework and that happens worldwide every day and i that's mild compared to the extremes that this can go to and the common element to all of this is it got to us via some digital means and yeah. that's that nexus of cybersecurity to real human security
1: yeah it, it, i suppose <laughs> I, i'm i'm quite a new parent i've got a, a one year old and a two year old and I I regularly think because I'm my my career is is educational technology and I and I regularly think at what age do I give them a mobile phone at what age do I do I let them have access to the internet they've got a they've got a um, an Amazon F- Fire tablet at the moment which we we don't keep connected to the internet and I don't think giving I,
0: them an iPhone twelve at two done <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Uh, but I but it I, I do think like it, what how much also I don't want to be the type of parent when when they're 13 years old 14 years old um, checking everything they do and checking I think there was there was an episode of black mirror I don't know if you if you've if you've watched black mirror but where they it's, it's like a dystopian feature and um, the the parents get a, a chip implanted into the child's head and they can say everything they're doing and they they, they can when they they're going out and experimenting with drugs as a teenager and they they and it, it to, totally creates a lack of trust doesn't it and I don't want to be a parent who doesn't trust my children but I've genuinely got fears about this the stuff that we're talking about because it happens and it happens to good people it happens it happens to people who 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 aren't expecting it um, and and I yeah. guess I guess some pair I think where I'm going with this and I guess some parents and maybe and, and what well, I know for a fact some teachers might say let why do we put that into the child's hand in the first place why do we put that into the teenagers hand in the first place why are we why are we even ex, why are we even letting them m- m- be exposed to this if, if there's a chance it could happen um, and I guess and I know I, I, I'm asking this question knowing the answer to it I guess because it's I suppose it's the question of of why give why give a child tech in the first place if it's, if, if the, if they could be exposed to danger.
2: You're going down a really interesting path here and it's one that, you know, kind of led me to, to what I've been doing for the past several years. Why I went from security consulting to actually dig into tool development is that the net benefits to society from having these tools available to us is extraordinary the leaps we've made in the last 20 years the last 10 years we're exponentially benefiting everywhere from healthcare to governance to our our health i mean there's so much more we can do as these technical tools applications know how all coalesce and we want everyone to benefit from that and the more that young people can adapt and even raise the bar on all these skill levels. That's why we want them to have these technologies. The mm-hmm. reach just becomes so tremendous. And I mean, but like you said, if you start thinking about what I was mentioning only a few moments ago, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easy to forget about the net benefits to society when the individual danger to my son or daughter will stop me from ever letting them participate like, well, yeah. I don't care what happens to society. I just want to make sure that my son is going to be okay. Um, when, you, when you reach that point, that's where it comes down to the actual tools and the actual devices themselves. And I can point to different brands, but I'll start by just saying you know, Apple has done a tremendous job of making their hardware, their software offerings really accessible. It's something that you can use straight on. You can have some degree of of safety there. Of course, those exploits I was talking about before where I can do something that's very humid to trick a human into calling me up or meeting me around the corner or something else, I can still do that through email, through chat, messaging apps, things like that. But the actual device itself is, is very safe. And we're seeing great strides as well on the Windows environment and lots of different variants of uh, Android that's coming up on tablets and cell phones and everyone's getting better at it so it, it's not like it's it's a, a one-way street to the meltdown of society It's certainly not that we're we're finding a nice balance of usability and security. But my take is that you should never have a trade-off. There's no need to balance those. That the more usable some device or tool is, the more secure it can be, and vice versa. It's that if it is not usable, it's not secure. And that's something that can be evaluated, you know, in the corporate level, among educational institutions as well. And as I was explaining earlier, when decision-makers, leadership, and educational institutions are having to create budgets to buy the infrastructure needed to introduce technology to their students, it's that ability to say, well, what is that trade-off? Do I have to sacrifice usability to get more security? Do I have to limit my students from having access to the internet? Do I shut them down from having access to email? Do I ever allow email attachments to be in place? none of those are questions that should be asked if they have the right tool in place i can allow my users to do any single thing they want to do without any type of potential disruption or destruction of oh. that device coming in place <laughs> i know it sounds like a dream Sorry. but but we're certainly getting there yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, you it's know, interesting um, oh, sorry, just for the ahead.
1: listeners, uh, I, I coughed at the microphone, which is never a professional thing to do <laughs> in, in, when you're doing a, an, an audio show. Uh, <laughs> but that—that's the uh, level of professionalism we work at, Jerry. Sorry. Um, the I guess it's I'm, I guess it. I, I, I seem to be. I, I want my brain wants to make analogies uh, constantly this evening, sure. but. Uh, I, I suppose it's like letting your child use the bus for the first time, isn't it? You're not gonna, you're not gonna say right no because of all the terrible things in history that have happened to people on buses. You're gonna, you're gonna give them the right tools in case they need. You're gonna in case they need to call you or they need to, they they need to they need help or whatever. But you're also gonna like like and I, we'll probably come in full circle back to the beginning of the the episode. Now you're gonna give them the mindset to be able to deal with that situation as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. There's just those few heuristics that'll work for the bus, that'll work for the train, that'll work for walking on the sidewalk, for getting on a bicycle. Those constants that take you in every facet of life that actually apply here. And there shouldn't be an exception just because I'm using a computer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's it's definitely a, a, a strange world, Jerry. And I think the work that you're doing is is commendable because I don't think we I don't think the average person thinks about this a lot, and I, and I suppose, I suppose your message is they shouldn't be thinking about it a lot. But it's we are kind of as technology progresses, it's it's it the security has to progress along with it, doesn't it? And and, we, and we're seeing a lot of, especially even in 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 foreign um, relationships and and in, international um, relationships, we're seeing a lot of kind of people call it cyber warfare um, happen at the moment, and and. I guess even just just those few years ago, a lot of people um, accused Russia of having a having a massive hand in in Trump's win over there in the states, and 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 not just that, but Brexit over here. Um, I think there was there was a report that actually our our government haven't released. Um, they did a report and haven't released it to the public, which um, people think indicates that there was some Russian involvement in the in the Brexit vote over here. It's we, I know we're talking about it on a very personal use or an educational use, but it's, it's something that's very much relevant to to politics and, and the world we live in. Um, and I don't think it's going to go, go away anytime soon. So um, yeah, uh, Jerry, it's, it's, it's great just to get insights, I think. Um, and although the conversation has been um, technical at times, I, I think hope our users have, have really um, learned a lot like, like I have um, and, and kind of, Are going away a bit more aware of of the security side of things so thank you for for sharing this time with us jerry
2: so it's my pleasure thank you for for having it and i hope that what they walk away with isn't just confusion but if there is some that the various topics we hit on are just rich ones that they can follow on their own and do some research see if they can get around the marketing buzz of different things and and really discover the merits of tools that give them freedom rather than discipline.
1: Yeah, if Definitely. if anyone wants to to know more about the work that you do, um, which what direction can you point them in?
2: Well, we have enough at the website secureage.com, uh, just as it sounds secure and age as one word. And and from there we have one separate section for educational institutions where we have our grant program. Um, you know, our entire history has been Providing bespoke tools for governments and militaries, and from that efficacy, we found that everything we do applies just as much to enterprise to individuals. That there's the same technology that secures classified systems should be securing your life, uh, especially if that technology allows you to live your life free of fear. Yeah,
0: Brilliant.
2: well, Thanks, fantastic. Jerry, and thank have you, Vita. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you both. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Bye bye.